Welcome to our post-game recap. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Well, it's almost midnight, and I mean, BYU won, so that's great, but we just watched a really boring fourth quarter. I'm a little tired. I'm a little weird. I wrote a post-game recap with a whole bunch of Greek mythology in it, and uh, that's about the frame of mind that I'm in right now. Okay, so I think that really leans hard into the it was a boring fourth quarter you it know, was it was I a good kinda, boring there was that drive when they Troy scored the touchdown that was called back for a little bit of a ticky-tack holding call uh-huh. and on that drive I realized I was like oh Tyler Batty's in getting his first reps oh we have Jared Capician playing corner and a whole mess of other people like it was when we went the wholesale hockey lineup change, getting the third and fourth stringers in on the defense against their, that sounds like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go to bed. I've got 11 hours in the car to do tomorrow. And um, this game is done. Like everyone has collectively thrown in the towel on this one. Yeah, that's, that pretty much describes it. Uh, it but it is, it's a good boring, right? I mean, we've been on, the other end of those blowout losses, and those are way less fun. Right, and it, this is way more fun than not having any games at all and not yes. playing at all. I mean, so I did go to a game today in person. Which How was, was that? It was kind of weird. So I went to, for our listeners who may not know, I went to the uh, TCU-Iowa State game today, um, and with a friend of mine who covers TCU and he is a writer similar to what we do here, but cover on the TCU end of things. And he, it was weird because they didn't have very many fans in this. There were maybe like 5,000 people there. And it was weird because it was so quiet. Like so weird. It like, they were still pumping the fake crowd noise in a little bit. And it was, it was weird because it's like, okay, we're in person. It's like, you know, there's people around us. But it there were there was no stadium atmosphere other than like I have a soda and a pretzel in my hand. But so it was very, it was a very kind of weird thing. But it was it felt nice to be a little closer back to some of those precedented times. Do you opposed. almost do you almost feel guilty cheering in a situation like that? What I mean, you- obviously you're not like a TCU or an Ohio uh, an Iowa State fan, so I can't imagine that you're oh. like super pumped to yell and scream but like i think you would naturally be a little bit reserved in that situation because it's like everybody could hear you scream and that get weird no i mean so i bought a tcu shirt today and i was wearing that at the game and it's like i was with my friend he's a tc i was with him and another friend of his so it's like i was with two tcu alums and ever since 2016 and the whole big 12 potentially expanding thing i have a severe hatred of ohio of iowa state so Okay, well, there you go. Well, back to BYU, right? I mean, we do need to talk about BYU. Okay, the first thing, uh, well, really, the first thing that I need to acknowledge, um, game five of the Stanley Cup Finals, I mean, did, did Tampa Bay win? I I feel like I'm, I'm watching the highlights here on SportsCenter after the game as we speak, and I oh, love no. hockey, but... No, Dallas won in... uh, Dallas won in two overtimes? Yep. Okay. Well, I had no idea that it was an elimination game in the Stanley Cup Finals. And as I'm watching the highlights of this, I don't even know 
what channel these highlights are being broadcast from. Like Probably I think that's, well, that's what I would think. But the logo is SN. I don't know what SN is. So anyway, that's that's on the top of my mind right now. Uh, and Barry Melrose is still ESPN's hockey guy. The dude looks well. He's seen better days. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, BYU started slow in this game. Um, you know, I, I I was wrong, right? In in my projections, we were all wrong. Well, Nobody that's predicted. true. That is true. In in my projections, what I thought I thought Troy would show a lot better than they would, and I thought that BYU, frankly, would do what BYU did, right? I mean, the Cougars came out and they were slow. It was kind of an ugly first half, especially in the first quarter. Um, and then things started to click probably, you know, with five, six minutes left in the second quarter, they really started to find a rhythm and they never looked back. I did not expect the defense to be as uh, stifling as they were. No, I mean, they, and, they absolutely dominated. And now through two games, we have more than half, like 50% the number of sacks that we had in the entire 2019 season, which is incredible. And it's, I, you know, we really saw what you can get away with. It's like, really, I mean, you only need to bring like, and when it comes to pressuring, it's like, right. You only need to, you should bring like the fewest number of guys it takes to get pressure. And so we saw, we, I mean, there was a good variety in a lot of multiple fronts that were shown and things that happened throughout the night, but it was, um, you know, we really, we were getting home with three man with just a three man rush and then sometimes the center just forgets to block the nose guard who's playing a zero tech and just lets him walk right by him and sack the quarterback. Was like it was, I don't know. That was bizarre. It was, that was one of the weirdest plays I've ever Kyrus seen. Tonga, like you would think is the, like the focal point of every offensive lineman. You know, when they, when, when, when they line up across from BYU, Kyrus Tonga is the guy you've got to find, right? I mean, he's the LeBron James of that defensive line. And he went untouched for his first sack of the game now credit to kyrus i mean that was the easiest sack he's ever going to have but the dude for 330 pounds whatever he is he looked really fast up the line of scrimmage like that was impressive speaking of how players look tonight i noticed that caden hawes got a lot of time and every time i see caden hawes does it not feel like he is my spirit animal like does he not look like if you or i were to put on pads and go out there our body type, we would look like Caden Haas. Um, no, I well, not me. I think that you are a much more athletic physique than I am. And well, I mean, and this is not to that, say that I'm you're an athlete. Though is like he, you'd look at him yeah. and you would be so unassuming. You're just like, oh, he's a big dude. Like, right? No, I, I, I would get never, that. I, 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 I hear you. Him, but he's played really well, and I mean, I don't remember how much time he got on the defensive side of the ball because he was a high well recruited and he was a good center prospect you know coming out of um arkansas oh, to Pulaski academy he played at the uh, high school that never punts and uh, always, right. onside, always goes for two never punt always onside kick and you know he played center so i don't know how much time he got on the defensive side of the ball but he did a he's done well in the two games that we've seen him coming in spelling Kyrus Tonga at the defensive tackle spot. He's a little bit undersized for playing a nose guard, but he's quick and he's kind of short and stocky and he's quick and got good hands and get does really well at getting 
with playing with a good pad level and getting a good push on the defensive line. So I think he was someone who stood out to me tonight as having a really good game at a position that is new to him. Yeah, I think he looked great. And uh, I, I am impressed that you think you're athletic. I, I, I hear you, that you would look no, like no, no. I'm not talking about the I, athletic. This is purely aesthetic, not athletic. Well, even still, what I think of my aesthetics, I think I probably look like the white guy who was dancing next to Jason Ayu that they kept making fun of. I'm more in that realm. The My wife texted me about that, and she said, the white guy that everyone, she said, that white guy is what everyone makes fun of at BYU. And I replied uh, and said, Dump Cosmo, that guy is our new mascot because he yeah. embodies everything. And she said, Oh no, hell no, that man is a fool. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, is. I don't me. know who that is. We need to text Jason or like DM him and ask who he was dancing next to because I couldn't tell who it was with the mask and the hat on. I couldn't either. I didn't know who that was. And you know that if you take that guy out of his like, uh, like his BYU assigned uniform, right? They all had their team like assigned polos and pants. The coaching staff does. Uh, on a regular day, that dude is wearing New Balance shoes, maybe even Asics. He's wearing Asics cross training shoes with regular blue jeans and then like a navy blue t shirt. And I, I have no doubt he's in my wearing mind. his 2008 fully invested navy blue t shirt. There is no question in my mind. And that is who I, I envision myself if i think of me and what my role would look like on the football team it's that guy you can be caden haas and i think that's accurate but i'm that guy and i think he probably dances better than i do you know who's a really sneaky good dancer that byu fans are going to be pumped about mitch harper really you would you would never know this but that dude can dance it's uh i don't think he keeps it a secret intentionally uh, if you ask him, I, I'm sure that he will open up about his prowess on the dance floor. But for being like Mitch is a big guy, right? Like he's like six. He's probably six, three, six, four. Um, and I think he's stockier than I am. And dude's got moves. Like, so there you go. Next time you guys are tuning into Cougar Tracks or you know KSL Sports Saturday, Mitch Harper can dance. I think. We should do a little cut whenever they do it. Mitch doesn't do a call in on this show, but we need to somehow get worm our way on there and bring it up and force him, put him on the spot and make him talk about it. Yeah, there's got to be a mailbag thing that he does, right? Where we can just, if enough of us tweet at Mitch and make him acknowledge his dance moves, I think he has to do it. And I think he'd be proud to do it. He's really good. So, kind of a fun fact how good was Zach Wilson tonight? The. I think it hopefully through two games has completely dispelled any question of whether there is a, any sort of quarterback controversy. And yeah. he is everything that was reported to be, you know, in the offseason of, you know, and what we said, he's finally healthy. Like it's, he's finally healthy and has time in the system and things are clicking. Right. He and it's, look, he looks spectacular. It's, and it wasn't just the deep ball, like he was hitting every single like every type that, of throw he was hitting like the touchdowns to like the touchdown to Isaac Rex like nice touch he was hitting the touch the, on that was there beautiful. was another um it was the 
play before he scored his second touchdown, like when he his last score, when he ran in on like off the spread, the read option, he dumped a little pass to Mason Wake over a defender and Wake got a first down to like the three yard line or whatever. It's like that is a very underrated pass he was hitting the deep out really well and timing that really well he had multiple deep balls that he was throwing the touchdown to Dax Milne was a little like under that was under thrown and had to come back for it but you know Milne bailed him out on that one and ended obviously ended up great being a 70 yard touchdown but he was hitting every throw every type of throw all over the field and that's my favorite throw of the night was his it was like a 14 yard slant to I think it was Cosper early in the second half uh, for Cosper's first catch. The timing, first the, the the zip on that ball was Zach Wilson of Corner Canyon High School. Like he looked healthy, and there was some mustard on that throw. But the timing, it, it shows the progression that Zach is making. If we go back, and we'll, I'm sure we'll highlight this play uh, on Cougar Sports Insider throughout the week. But if you look at that play. He throws that ball before Cosper's break. I mean, he is starting to read the defense to the point that he is throwing to a space, right? He knows where his receivers are going to be, and he's hitting his receivers in stride. The deep ball, the deep ball's impressive, but the deep ball's always been there with Zach. He's always been good at throwing it long, but it's these intermediate routes where Zach is really starting to take a big step forward. And I get it. It's it's Troy, right? We're not, you know, it's not against Alabama, but the 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 way that he is throwing the ball is special, and it's it bodes well, right? It bodes well for BYU. It bodes well for Zach. Um, I think it's I think it's really exciting to see what he's doing, and I'm pumped that we only have to wait six days to see him back on the field against Louisiana Tech. Right, and Louisiana Tech is going to be. I mean, they, I don't know. I have a good read on them today. So they kind of had a bit of a shootout today with Houston Baptist who there, I saw one thing. Let me, I got to find it. So they had a shootout today, but they put up 60 points today. And so they're going to test the defense a bit, but they, um, but you know, they're not a bad program. And it like, I like having, you know, that having the short turnaround, to really get back into it and really see, like, I'm very intrigued now of, okay, it seems like he's kind of put things together. How far can we push it with Zach Wilson? Like what is the extent of what he's going to be able to do this season? Yeah, I I think that's accurate. Um, I I think he'll go really as far as his receivers take him. Right. Uh, That's the one thing that could hold him back. But tonight Dax Mill, Gunnar Romney, they looked like everything you'd want out of your top receivers. Dax Milne, seven catches, 140 yards and a score. 70 of those yards came on his long touchdown pass or touchdown catch. Uh, Gunnar Romney, five catches, 138 yards and was just a yard short of a score on that beautiful ball, uh, the beautiful diving catch that he made. They marked him down just short of the one-yard line. Uh, those Those two looked great. Um, one thing I'd like to see, I mean, we're really having to split some hairs to find things to be critical of. I'd like to see more out of Neil Pau. Um, I don't think he was bad, but I don't think he was great. Um, I, if I remember right, he had a drop, 
but he looks a little bit lost still. I don't know if he's running the wrong routes. I don't know if he and Zach, you know, if there's options in his breaks and he and Zach are just reading different things on the defense, but it just doesn't look like the chemistry is there between Zach and Pau. So I'd like to see some work there. And I would like to see more Cody Epps for no other reason other than he is number zero. And I love it so much. It has to be on the field. I like Cody Epps. I like his potential. I think he's going to be great. So I want to see him on the field because of that. But even if he was an absolute scrub, I want to see number zero on the field for BYU's offense. Yes, we saw some D'Angelo Mandel tonight playing on the defense. We Which did was surprising. It was surprising. I was not expecting that. And he uh, he had a hyperextended knee. For those of you who aren't subscribers, uh, please subscribe to Cougar Sports Insider. You would have known that in like August. Uh, but hyperextended knee, I did not think he'd be back. So good to see him make his way back. Sorry, Garrett, continue. Oh, no, it's great to see him back. He is one of our best young developing corners. It was great to see Chris Wilcox back today. It was, I thought, Micah Harper, you know, playing his first game, getting his first career start there like he looked good as well they picked Um, on him a little bit but he looked really good uh as an open field tackler and i think he had that that one tackle for loss that was great that was oh yeah great read he blew up his block got in behind the line of scrimmage and then the very next play they went after him again and he made kind of a shoestring tackle um i i was uh, he so he's coming out of basha high school in chandler arizona and that's like um, I'm trying to think of the example. Uh, that's like okay, there's Bingham High School in Utah, and that's where you know all of the name, all the notoriety, Dude, notoriety out goes of Basha to. Is like it's like he went to Taylorsville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Bingham is the Bingham school. People don't realize that when Bingham or when Riverton was created, they split off of Bingham. Like Riverton used to be Bingham, and people don't recognize that. And so Basha's not, you know a big time program. And so he came out of there and everybody compared him, myself included to Diane Gonwoluku, who fortunately has changed his name back to Diane Lake. So we can say Diane Lake again. Um, And I think that's an accurate comparison, but the one thing that Diane was so good at at BYU was tackling Uh, his coverage. You know, he had his up and downs in coverage. He had his up and downs in, in, in pure pass rushing ability. But when it came to open field tackling, there was nobody better than Diane uh, for those four years that he was at BYU. That was the one thing that I wasn't sure of uh, with Micah Harper coming out of Basha because I, I just didn't see enough of it on film. He was great in coverage, great athlete, really versatile, played some offense. I mean, he had all the tools, but you didn't really see him as an open field tackler. Tonight, he showed, I think he finished the game with like seven or eight tackles, uh, seven tackles. He was second on the team in tackles. He looked great. Uh, that's a that's a huge, encouraging sign out of a true freshman. So Very I thought he played so. well. I expected he, them him to get picked on a little bit just because, you know, they know he's a true freshman. They know it's his first game and it's his first start. Okay, you're not going to go after Chris Wilcox. Right, right. You know, the tested senior. So it's that's the side of the field you're going to pick on, even though he was on the left side of the field. Apparently, Gunnar Watson decided he could throw that way, but still the, didn't do it very much, though. I mean, he, no. he threw a few, but that is the weirdest thing to me. That is the weird. It's like a basketball player that can't drive left. I've never seen it from a quarterback, like a dude who can't throw left. It was weird, but he did complete some passes to the left side of the field. So I'm, I'm happy for him. That's good. 
Yeah, it's so I think you know, Micah Harper also like he stood out to me, and then other players. I mean, Zach Daw had his great sack, but everyone else, like it, we really just we saw what we expected to see, right? Like Kyrus had a huge game; he played great. We saw Zach Daw, you know, took a step forward, and he was kind of more of what we expected to be. Lorenzo Fautea played a solid game. We really, you know, we already talked about Gunnar Romney and Zach Wilson are kind of becoming the players we've expected. We expected them to make that jump last year. It looks like they've made that jump now. Dax Milne is progressing. We're seeing a lot of progression. The O-line struggled at times and it wasn't as consistent, you know, just it wasn't pure utter domination like they were against Navy. Um, they still got a good push, but they still, you know, they had some plays where there were some missed assignments and things. Um, but I also I want to give more appreciation to Mason Wake with his couple catches, you know, scoring two touchdowns of the vision from being a fullback, you know, two yards behind the quarterback and seeing that the hole was gone and bouncing it outside and finding, you know, finding that nose, having that nose for the end zone. The people, I don't think I've ever seen the fullback dive bounced off tackle for a score before. People but don't Mason realize Wake, how good he was at Lone Peak. Like the dude was a I mean, really he had like back to back 1,400 yard rushing seasons. He was not wow. a fullback in high school. He was right. He was still thick, but he was a traditional running back. Ah. He's got some skills that uh, the people don't talk about. Uh, my MVPs of this game were Jeff Grimes and Eliza Tuiaki. Like uh, nobody, not nobody. What am I trying to say? There is not a fan base. And I mean this, I don't think this is hyperbolic on my part. I do not think there's a fan base that is more critical of their coordinators than BYU. Good, bad. I don't know, but I think that that is an accurate statement. And those two have received a ton of criticism for a lot of different things. There are some fans that even in a 48 to seven blowout cannot wait to tweet about a bad play call or whatever. And the first drive of the game that, Oh, BYU is dropping eight. Yes, exactly. So two times and got a three and out. Right. And then, Uh, but the, the play call, I mean, really the game plan, not even the, the, the play calls, play calls, criticizing play calls, I think is silly because, you know, we as fans, one, we don't know what they're trying to set up and, and, and whatever, but two, we get the benefit of hindsight. It's really easy to say, oh, that play didn't work compared to predicting what play will work. Right. So I think criticizing play calls is kind of dumb. But looking at overall game plans, I think that's where it's fair. And I think that Jeff Grimes had a masterful game plan. If you think of Troy, you've never seen, B- you've never played BYU. You don't really have any uh, any concept of what BYU does other than what you've most recently seen on film. And on film, BYU is a run-first team that they wanted to run the ball, establish the line of scrimmage, and run, run, run with Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa. Well, Grimes knows that that's what Troy is is seeing on film, and Grimes knew that that's what Troy was going to prepare for. So the very first play of the game, offensive play of the game for BYU, it's a play-action bootleg that Zach throws a seed out to to, uh, Dax Milne for a 20-yard game. And it really set up all of what Zach Wilson was doing. I mean, the, the play action killed Troy all night long. And that is that was one game building into the game plan that Grimes had today. I thought that was special. And Tuiaki, I think, deserves a ton of credit. Yes, 
there was a lot of rushing three and dropping eight because BYU didn't really need to rush more than three. They were still getting pressure with three. But what you saw from Tuiaki tonight that you did not see last year is he was not afraid to dial up pressure. There were there was a lot of nuance within the coverages. BYU played a little bit more man coverage than they usually do uh, tonight against Troy, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but he was also willing to bring linebackers off the edge. He brought linebackers off up the middle. He still played a lot of, of eight-man coverage, but if you're getting pressure with three, why wouldn't you? But he also could sense the times that BYU needed to get to the quarterback, and he wasn't afraid to dial up pressure. On the, the play that we talked about earlier where Tonga went free, that was, I mean, Tonga got the sack. Tonga, obviously, that the D-tackle spot isn't coming on a blitz, but it was a blitz play. There was pressure dialed up, and the offensive line, you know, left Tonga unblocked. So the pressure was there. Uh, BYU, I think, finished the game with four sacks, and they probably could have had four more that they were just, uh, you know, just a half second too late, and and Watson was able to get it away. Uh, I really like Tuiaki's game plan for a lot of different reasons, especially given the secondary. It, it, to me, it looked like, and from what we'd heard the secondary had been wrecked with COVID and contact tracing. And so looking at all of the rotations that, uh, that existed in the secondary like tonight, Jared Capisi originally joined the program as a walk on punter and he got time at corner tonight. Right. Yeah. Decimated. Seeing all of those rotations tells me that those guys, even the ones who played right, even D'Angelo Mandel, Chris Wilcox, all those guys that they were just cleared in the last couple of days and that they have been sitting around quarantining themselves, not able to do much for the last couple of weeks. And so, yeah, they weren't really in shape. That's what that tells me. And so for the game plan to take that and still manage to do what they did against a team that uh, Troy, again, we've talked about it. Troy doesn't have the best athletes in the world, but Troy, their offense and their scheme is tough to defend. That secondary looked great. The defense looked great. Tuiaki deserves a ton of credit. We're very quick to criticize him when things go south. We need to be very quick to give him credit for the performance that they put together tonight. And it's been two back-to-back game plans against, I mean, for both coordinators, against teams that run very different things on both sides of the ball. Like, obviously, defensively, the difference between Troy and Navy is not as drastic as their offensive schemes. But, and both coordinators came out with completely different approaches than they did in game one. And both times it was exactly what they needed and guys were put in position to make plays. And I feel like, you know, at least sometimes we come out and we have, you know, we don't have the, we don't really have the tune up games, right? Like we don't, can't really go out and get in a rhythm before we start off our season. And I feel like now you can kind of, it kind of feels like there's just a new sense of confidence of, it feels like the players have finally bought into okay, whatever, this isn't the schedule we wanted, but this is like our year. Like, it's finally clicking for us. We're finally getting all of the guys that, you know, Kalani has wanted. It's year three of Grimes as the offensive coordinator, and everyone's ready to take that next step forward. And it kind of feels just – I have the feeling around the entire program of buy-in across the board that has kind of really been missing for not just since, you know, Kalani took over. Since Taysom left. 
Maybe. No, even like it was there, but it was even when Taysom was there, it wasn't bought into the program. It was like bought into Taysom. Like when he went down against Utah yeah. State against 2014, like the next month of the season, it seemed like no player on the team knew what they were going to do with their life because he was gone. Yeah, like it, that's really, it's almost been like there really hasn't been a huge level of buy in like that since like Max Hall left. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. And I think that the coaches deserve a ton of credit. I don't think people realize difficult it will be. It is for these coaches to coach, prepare, get everybody ready physically, but also manage this COVID stuff. Look at some of the teams that lost today and were really ugly. I mean, even the teams that won, uh, Texas took overtime against Texas Tech and had a miraculous comeback to win that game. Texas Tech is garbage. And Texas barely squeaked out a win. Oklahoma loses to K-State. LSU loses to Mississippi State, which I know you were at the TCU game, so I'm sorry for you that you didn't get to see Mike Leach uh, take down the defending champs. That was really my game of the day. Take down the defending champs, set the SEC passing record in game Uh, one with with, a... With KJ Costello. With KJ Costello coming from Stanford after being told by Paul Feinbaum all offseason that the air raid isn't going to work in the SEC because the defenses are too good. And then he starts tweeting pumpkin spice memes as soon as the game is over. Yeah, I love Mike Tech. Um, And so you look at the teams that have struggled to manage this COVID stuff. Uh, This coaching staff has not gotten enough credit, this BYU coaching staff, for what they've done to get this team ready to go and that's my biggest takeaway for the night is after three weeks after uncertainty after isaiah kafusi right not knowing that he was going to play until hours before the game this team looked ready to go they looked prepared and they dominated and when i look at the rest of this schedule there's not very many big names but i hope byu is able to work out a game against boise because the BYU team that we've seen in the last two weeks beats Boise in Boise by 20 points. I don't know what Boise looks like, but I'm confident that BYU yes. win by 20 in, points. In this Troy game, another reason that it feels like a huge step forward is because this is the exact type of game that since 2016, oh yeah, even really in the entire independence era, it seems like that this has been like the look ahead game where it's just like, uh, it's a nothing game, whatever. We should walk through them easily. And then they catch us off guard. And then it ends up being way closer than it should have been, like the Liberty game last year. Or, you know, they end up beating us like Northern Illinois in 2018, where it's just like sloppy, ugly, what's yep. going on. This it is kind of Toledo. It felt, yes, this felt like it could have been Toledo or NIU or Liberty last year, which squeaked out, whatever. And we showed up ready to play. And that's a great sign for the program of hopefully turning a corner. And, you know, there was some discussion during the game of like, oh, is this even fun? Like, yeah, the fourth quarter like was boring because the fourth quarter blowouts are boring. But yeah, watching the team team was pumped. The team being watching your team being pumped and watching your team play like and win games. That's fun. I don't care who it's against. It's fun. So I don't know why that's a question, but. So personal story, um, my cousin, I feel like I need to tell the world this because uh, my cousin is the man. I tweeted about it. So if you've heard this already, I'm very sorry for 
I'm telling this to you twice today, but my cousin, Cache Valley firefighter, uh, he's done all of the like the wildfires uh, here in Utah and throughout the West. So really a good dude, just a recently returned missionary that joined the firefighter force. Uh, great guy. Finally got a weekend off this weekend, and he and another cousin of mine went down to St. George to just ride some dirt bikes. And the text that I got said that my cousin got a little squirrely going over a knoll, and he tried to bail off of his dirt bike over like his handlebars, you know, just to, to, to get off and bail and crash and then, you know, get up and start over. Well, the bailing process did not work like he had anticipated. Sounds like he ended up getting stuck on the bike. The bike crashed. I don't know what really happened. But in the end, the result has broken both of his femurs. He broke both. He's currently in surgery, resetting his his femurs. Both. Ow. Both of his femurs are broken. Yeah, that's that's the most pain. Like people die from a broken femur because the pain is so significant that your body just is like, wait, the pain hurts so bad. We're supposed to be dead. Nothing's supposed to hurt this bad. So your brain just shuts your body down like that's how bad it is. And he hurt both. He broke both of them. Then because he's out in the middle of nowhere, St. George, then he had to lay on the ground in pain with no painkillers, no anything waiting for an ambulance to come and find him. So he was laying on the ground, just in the dirt, just muscling through it because he's a dude. And he was able to get through it. I think he laid there for like an hour, hour and a half, till the ambulance was able to get out there. Oh, my gosh. The ambulance was able to get there, got him some morphine. Then he had to lay there on the dirt for a little while longer, wait for the life flight to come. They life flighted him from St. George, wherever he was out to Salt Lake. I think he's up at uh, Primary Children's or maybe he's at university. I don't know where he is. Somewhere in Salt Lake. Uh, anyway, both femurs. Uh, my cousin who did not break his femurs, he took some pictures along the way. I've been looking at these pictures and I get a little bit squeamish, you know, even if it's a paper cut. Looking at these, oh my gosh, I don't know how this guy has survived it. So shout out to my cousin Carter because that's unbelievable. And for him to just like bite on a piece of leather and muscle his way through it until the morphine came, it's unfathomable to me. So here we are at midnight after a big BYU win against Troy. And uh, a guy that I know broke both of his femurs today. And that's the most impressive thing that I've seen. I was expecting. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's not related to anything. And then I had mentioned that I'd gone to a TCU yeah. game today. I was expecting a different personal story to be shared, but we can talk about you. I don't want to talk about that. If you want to talk about that, but well, we brought it up, and I mean, we can talk about it at a very high level. But my uh, another cousin, uh, Cash Valley. If you guys don't know this about me, everybody in my family is from cash Valley. Uh, I have grown up with a disdain for Utah state. I don't mind Utah. <laughs> Funny I story hate about Utah that. state. And Today, it's because before I walk into the stadium, I'm... we were sitting in a bar and my buddy that I was with is like just drinking a beer before the game, whatever. And we were talking about how like more teams, we kind of mentioned this, talked about this a few weeks ago, how like kind of makes more sense for 
like the higher end of every conference, it would, they would make more money going independent because currently they are subsidizing the low end of the conference mm-hmm. or whatever. And he was talking and he said to me, Utah state, that's in, what city is that in? That's in Ogden, right? Like they should just go back to the big sky. Like they need to go to the big sky <laughs> because it makes zero sense uh. for them to try to do anything on a national level. And I laughed so hard at that, that legitimately people outside of Utah, there are multiple people who follow college football closely that believe Utah state is in Ogden. I mean, for Utah state's sake, I wish they were in Ogden, It'd probably be easier to get to. And maybe they honestly be so true. If, if Weber state, but anyway, mountain, it makes more sense for Weber state to be in the mountain West and Utah state to be in the big sky than their current arrangement. Yeah. I mean, for the Ogden school, right. It absolutely. Um, anyway, I'm from Cache Valley. So I was born in Logan. My parents born, raised in Logan. We go to Logan all the time. Um, Logan is home of, I'm not going to say names, but the family of one TCU head coach, the, I guess the ex-wife. And my cousin has some sort of a connection. They aren't uh, they aren't an item anymore. They once may have been. They went on date. I don't know. I don't know what all the words are. Uh, but anyway, there's a connection between my cousin and Gary Patterson's ex-wife. She is a and they, very they nice met, lady. Gary and I have attended. Early '90s was an assistant at Utah State. Way way long time ago. Right. Correct. Correct. Yep, that's correct. And anyway, super nice lady, the former Sister Patterson. I have attended several BYU games with her as my cousin had season tickets with us. This was about a decade ago, and she would frequently come I believe with him. Kids may Very nice have, lady. They may have had a kid or two who actually went to BYU. I believe so, as students. Now, when I, when I knew her, they were still younger. They weren't college-aged yet, so... Uh, we lost talk or we're not friends at this point. So I lost contact with them. So I don't know what they're doing now, but I have heard that. So I think that is true. But anyway, weird, random connection that I feel like they, I have. They, I kind of, my one regret about today is that I saw somebody wearing a hat and it like had, it looked brand new. So I think they bought it at the stadium, and I, but they sell hats that is just like a white hat with gary patterson's like head with like a hat and a headset on like him screaming like in a thing like (laughs) embroidered on the hat and that's it it's just like gary patterson's face on the hat and i want that but with andy reed i need an andy reed hat i have uh two stickers on my laptop that are just andy reed one of them is like a full headshot like a cartoon headshot of andy reed eating a cheeseburger and the other one is just a, a circle sticker of Andy Reed's mustache and it says I want a cheeseburger so um, also Garrett yeah. we made barstool for better or worse BYU has officially made barstool it's a gif of Wes Wright fist pumping it's a, I mean he kind of has he a little bit of like a night at Roxbury look yeah, a little bit. That, I, that's that's actually really spot on to me. 
Um, and the caption is, when the boys come over with the 36-pack of Diet Coke. so tired. Come up with some him. new material. Like, it's tired. I mean, it is, but when you when you couple that with this GIF, I have a hard time faulting anybody yeah. for making like, that joke. In, when Toledo came to Provo and that receiver was like, I got knocked out by someone who can't even drink Mountain Dew. I'm like... Come on, come on! Yeah, material. we've heard it before. Like they've been that joke right. has been made since right. 1870 before Mountain Dew was even a thing. Right. Yep, I'm with you. You know, I would like to see that. Like, if we're gonna critique us as Mormons, which you know, whatever, I don't really care. If we're gonna make fun of Mormons, like, let's get a little bit creative. Like, you know, pop culture mocks Judaism all the time. And they get creative with their jokes. Like those those Judaism jokes evolve. But Mormons, like we get the same stuff. Yes, lots of wives. Oh, okay. We we knock on your door as missionaries. Yeah, we don't drink. Other than that, though, like what are they criticizing? I'd like to see the criticism evolve. The only the only group that critic that 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 I really respect their criticism of Mormons and BYU is Wyoming. And it's because they just treat us like second-rate citizens. They don't really care. They're not even really mocking Mormonism or mocking BYU as much as they're just treating us like peasants. You know, throwing pee bombs like uh, latex gloves filled with pee, just chucking it at you. I respect that more than I respect like Gonzaga's student section dressing up as missionaries. Right for the forty five thousand. We do time. need maybe that is a business venture that we could begin. Of you know, let's we'll do some pop culture education. Like, come to our class. We will teach you how to make fun of us. Because, yeah, there's a lot of things to make fun of. If, like, but the odd thing about it is, I feel like in many ways the movie Napoleon Dynamite, which was an instant like cult classic, was in a lot of ways making fun of like Idaho small town, like Utah, like there were a lot of like LDS kind of centric jokes in there and people loved it, but they okay. just didn't realize that yeah. it was like, right. So when I, when I say that my family comes from cash Valley, that's where they came from. Like, that's not a joke. The egg farm that Napoleon dynamite goes to is down the street from my mom's house growing up. The restaurant that Kip and Uncle Rico go to every time they talk, I eat there every time I go pheasant hunting. Like, that is my parents' hometown. Preston, Idaho, that is just north of Lewiston, Utah. It's like the next city north, right across the border. My parents both grew up in Lewiston, Utah. The egg farm that they go to is in Utah. That restaurant is in is in Richmond, Utah. That is... My speaking like, of Napoleon Dynamite. So when I was in the MTC, one of the counselors in our my branch presidency, his daughter was married to um what's his name? John Heater, the guy who played Napoleon Dynamite. You know, was married to his ah, identical yeah, okay. twin brother. And which is weird that like he has the one worst of those possible person to be an identical twin with because like that that dude has a very recognizable face. He's famous. And so like one time his like, you know, daughter, her family were visiting. They came to church with us and then one day in the cafeteria and people were lining up to like say hi to the student, take a picture with him. 
because they thought he was his twin brother. And I'm like, that would be so miserable. How strange. Like, I'd, I would get plastic surgery to change my face so people How? Would leave me alone. I, I would think so. Or disown the brother or something, you know, find but, a way. It was a fun, fun college football Saturday. Texas came back. That, that was a crazy Yeah, I finish. pulled over to watch uh, the end of that. And it was, we had upset. We had huge upsets. We had crazy comebacks. We had a few solid drubbings. It was everything that you could ever want out of a college football Saturday. Capped off with a huge BYU win, dominating performance. Where do you think the Cougs go in the polls? They're at 18 now. Teams are starting to come back. I don't know what is going to happen when like the Pac-12 starts in November. Do they suddenly get sprinkled into no, the polls? They are, are they exempt they from the polls? This week that they can start including Big Ten and Pac-12 teams. And like every te- conference that announced that they are coming back this week, they are eligible to be included in the polls starting tomorrow. So, so Oregon's going to show up in the top 10, yeah, even though Oregon, they don't play Ohio until State November. is going to be in there. Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, probably USC, maybe Iowa. Like those are, or and Minnesota. Those what are the teams that are, were in the top 25 before that have been dropped out because they were not playing that will be eligible to come back. So I don't know with all the losses. I, this was a obviously decidedly enough like victory, like depending on how, where they slot those teams. Like I could see us dropping to number 20, depending on how many teams they put in front of us and things get shuffled or getting, you know, cause dropping to 20 would be like four teams drop behind us, but they put six teams in front of us. We could still end up at 20. And right. And so it's like, I could see anywhere from like 14 to 20 would not surprise me. And I don't know what to expect. Maybe even like as low as 22. So weird. I don't know what to expect. Pat 40, I don't know. If yeah, he, I, I believe I think he, he has an AP vote. He just released his uh, top 25. And let's see. I'm pulling it up now. I mean, it's 1230 at night, folks. That's why I don't have this pre-prepared. So just bear with us. If you want to complain, complain on Twitter. Okay, he's got BYU. At okay. number Pat 40, 10. Big fan of our show. So we'll take we love that. You, yeah, we'll take that for sure. Just inside his top 10. So, uh, okay. So Pat 40. We're roll with that. The Cougars are a top 10 program. And it was, yep. it was a good day today. It was a good day. Garrett, you drive safe as you continue your trek across the country. And uh, we'll get back to this later this week, getting everybody ready for BYU versus Louisiana Tech on Friday night, which is officially five days away, assuming we don't count today, Sunday. So five days away, BYU-Louisiana Tech. Hopefully they keep the momentum going after tonight's big 48-7 to win over Troy. Dude, Garrett, you, you give them hell give on them that hell drive, man. Sleeping in and doing home church tomorrow. Uh, have a good night. You got it. <laughs>